Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Man, I'm good. I love, I love when the sun starts setting later. And, well, more when the sun's out. I'm in shorts today. For Golly. the first time... In Oregon, for the I first time I did notice in you were in shorts. Months. Nice. What feels like forever. You got nice legs. I do. <laughs> I'm wearing shorts, too. Yeah, but you ran. I just... That's um, true. I just wore shorts because it's kind of hot. And I mowed my lawn. Oh, yeah. That's a good uh, shorts activity. I got home from, no, I, after I got home from work, I mowed my lawn in pants because I mowed my lawn in pants because there's dog poop and other debris that Rocks. I'm not really... Yeah, who knows what that makes it into the lawn that I don't want to hit me in the shins. But then I was hot, so I put shorts on, and I left them on, and it has been delightful. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> it's so nice, and it's still sunny. I mean, it's, I we're it's, recording, what, 8 o'clock, and it's still yeah, totally light outside. And almost 70 degrees. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Oregon, for being you. I love this place, man. For this week. For this. <laughs> until next week when it rains all mm-hmm. damn week. Uh, I took Betty out to do some pictures. Uh, gosh, was that Tuesday morning? Uh, we went out six o'clock we we got to the park and uh sun's coming out and i was like this is so nice i will say it was not shorts weather no it's in like the 40s in <laughs> yeah, the morning still it, it was cold and I, both of our hands were, were getting cold uh but the light was beautiful it was a just a crisp sunny morning and uh you, you know the park we went to has these like trails where if you're in you know i'm sure those pictures are going to look like we're in the middle of nowhere when you've got good dew on the ground reflecting light and looking real shiny that's those right. are gonna look cool yeah so i'm pumped about them i don't have any clue what they look like yet <laughs> which is all, all super weird we just got to build your dark room <laughs> super weird so how are you man good uh work's going well you know it's it's rare that you uh you go into a job and go into your training and onboarding and everything turns out the way that you hope right you don't get that weird slap in the mouth like what have i done uh and i haven't had that yet i expect it'll come eventually because that that always seems to happen but hasn't happened yet so i'm good with it i'm just gonna keep plugging away nice yeah so you've started then this week or last week last week started week and a half in just doing you know the normal onboarding and training stuff and getting to know the group of people that i'm working around for ever i guess i don't know like for a while yeah right Right. This is your this is your cohort then, huh? Mm-hmm. Learning the difference between reckless and negligent, I assume. It's an important distinction. It is an important distinction, which most people don't know. Most people think reckless, negligent, they mean the same thing, but they don't. No. No, there's t- two types of people that know the difference, and one of them's you, one of them's me. Yeah. What a team. <laughs> <laughs> we know the difference, you people. Well, great. Great. Yeah. Anything else new with you? I mean, besides Game of Thrones, plugging away. Oh, my gosh. And we can't, we, we're... We're still too early to do any spoiling. Oh my because, gosh! But holy cannoli, y'all! If you're if you're waiting, stop. Oh my gosh! And just just tune in. You you, you know, uh, there's been some criticisms of episode three. There's always criticisms, right? Everybody's always got something to say. But uh, I loved it. I did too. And and here's the criticisms. I I think they're valid. But what we've what we've done is we've hyped this up and we put the show on mm-hmm. such a pedestal. The people somehow have in their mind that they're not going to be mildly to moderately disappointed at the conclusion. Yeah. And that's just the reality. It's you're, we're going to be disappointed. And then when we look back on it, we're still going to be excited. Like season nine of the office, I hated. And now I go back and I watch it. I'm like, okay, I can deal with you. 
<laughs> it, it, it's just that's the way it is when you hype something up like that it's not going to live up to the expectation that you want because you have all these fan theories in your head right and as, as long as they're they're exercising their artistic license it's not going to match what you wanted so stop stop bitching it was a terrific episode the season has been great so far and it's probably going to be Idol Go Down is probably one of the best television shows in history. Yeah, no, I think that's right, and I mean certainly one of the most popular. Uh, but it's been it's just phenomenal. You you know when the Sopranos ended, I was not watching it. I mean I wasn't into the Sopranos until until later. Um, and and you know that ending is controversial. The Sopranos ending it just fade to black basically. Or, or have we or, talked about that on here before? I'm not. sure. I know we, we have talked about it. before. Yeah. But, I don't know if we have. Uh, I, I mean, I would go on a limb and say it's the greatest ending to ever sh- any show ever. I, I mean, I think it's just. I, I think there's some shows in the in the '60s and '70s that had these really sort of uh, blow you away endings. Um, but but for me, for my sort of uh, consciousness, I, I, I love the way Breaking Bad ended. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the way Dexter ended. Yep. But Sopranos for me is the tits. <laughs> That ending, you, you know, just go to black and and you don't you don't know and it's it's beautiful, it's beautiful. It it was uh, the end of uh, True Detective season three was really reminiscent Fantastic. of of uh, the Sopranos ending. Yeah, just ambiguous at yeah. best. Yeah, yeah. You you know I I think that 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 True Detective series uh, does some of the same stuff with with the way they. They sort of end uh, characters, or you know, you know, end character. But you know what I mean. The way the way they tie up characters, uh, you, you you know, we're in this sort of golden age of TV, or maybe maybe just past the golden age. Uh, you know, maybe we just came through one. I think we're on the back end of it. I yeah, watched, yeah. We talked about that show, the two thousands that I was watching. The sure. first couple episodes were all related to uh, to the golden age of television and media, and they all began with you know the Sopranos mm-hmm. and with the wire and with all these, with HBO taking on programming as opposed to movies and boxing. Um, and that kind of sparked this other networks coming out and coming, uh, coming up and, and creating original content, you know, whether it be uh, sons of anarchy or uh, shoot, what else happened at that time? I mean, the wire happened. Uh, AMC started starting developing content. I mean, we're, we're kind of on the back end of the peak of television, and I, I don't know how it's going to get better, but yeah, I hope it does. Well, you, you know, I think the nice thing is you have so many different companies creating content, but it does seem like there's a a, a bottom line that is uh, a, a bottom line that's cutting in to the new programs we're getting more than it was four and five years ago. Um, you, you know, Breaking Bad, such a beautiful, uh, beautiful series. The whole thing is just really excellent. I don't know that, I don't know that that, you, you know, I don't know that that theme is something that would be marketable right now. And, and I oh, think it certainly wouldn't be. Yeah. Well, and, and who knows, right? I I'm no expert, but it seems like that, that show, if it came out right now would struggle and that's too bad. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I I think you're right. I think it would struggle. I think because we're kind of we're we're not necessarily a downtick, but we're in the meth isn't so much a novelty that hasn't touched people anymore. Mm. It, it's like so permeated through our culture that you're you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody who hasn't had a direct interaction with it. So it's not like this this fantastical world where this 
white collar dude just starts slinging drugs and this whole mess of violence follows it's it's kind of real and people are i think a lot more sensitive to the the negative side of that it's it's hard for anti-heroes to really gain traction these days yeah that might be true you you know i, I don't know obviously it's anecdotal but <coughs> i had experienced the pain of of meth specifically in my life well before that and it didn't affect the way I watched it, but maybe you're onto something there. So, well, watch us. What do we do here? I suppose we should. I mean, it's early. We still have plenty of time to, to just burn, but we can move into what, what could turn into a pretty long topic. Yeah. I, you, you know, it's interesting because I, I usually feel like we have a pretty good idea when we get started of how the show's going to go. I have no clue how it's going to go today. Me either. We, we usually work in a silo, but we, we have, I think, a better framework. Mm hmm. Uh, better rules set if you will yeah this was pretty open-ended super uh, open-ended in and, fact when i was preparing i thought am, am i supposed to be doing this <laughs> and we and we still worked in a silo so we'll we'll kind of see how it goes and i'm i personally broke away from uh selecting watches yeah me too um, but I, I know that there's enough in here that we're going to be able to pretty quickly come up with good examples and I, you know, I, I do have one watch that I that I selected today because I, I imagine it's the same one I did. Oh, really? Okay. Well, we'll see. You, you, you know, the the I don't think I don't think it is. I would be I would be shocked. Okay. Uh, I would be shocked. Uh, you, you know, one of these. So, so just to get out with it today, we're talking about watch complications, and um, that was sort of an interesting thing to talk about. Even even just well, what do we mean by watch complications? And so I, I gather we're probably going to have fairly different ideas about uh, what that means, how we're going to talk about it. I, I think that the way I did my research was to sort of um, just sort of get a, a well-grounded sort of categorical knowledge of, you, you know, what are no, what are watch complications, what are the watch complications, um, how they can affect us, why some are special, you, you know, thinking about turbions or, or minute repeaters, some of these words we, we hear but don't really understand. And that can be intimidating to folks who are just getting into watches. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a turbion, never mind the fact that spelling it to look it up is going to be hard enough, but then when you start to look into what a turbion is, it, it goes over goes over your head pretty easily. Right. And I think it's actually pronounced turbulent. Oh, turbillion. Turbulent. <laughs> that sounds better. I like that one. Uh, okay. Well, uh, you, you know, I, I guess it's interesting because you you name dropped a couple of complications when we uh, were, were talking through it, and I, I sort of went in a different direction. Although I can talk about those complications, uh, I, I sort of went with a classic approach to what what are the complications what's the you know perhaps the first complication you know what the most basic complications and and then sort of moved along in complexity as we go but where do you how do you how do you I, think you want to get started i don't know because i went a little bit different way i went like what are the bells and whistles that are out there what mm. do they mean do they are they valuable to you are they just something to drive up price? Are they really a factor of increased craftsmanship? Or is it really just adding a, a, another window and a gear with a, with a number plate on it? Mm -hmm. Like, is it, is it truly increasing the value of your watch or is it just something that's cool? Well, um, and then plenty of cool, just cool complications that I think are, that I, that I mentioned and wrote down. So I guess that's a good place to start. So what is a watch complication? A watch complication is any well is anything. It's what's happening on the watch. 
um, beyond, beyond time. Beyond, beyond the... I think even beyond hours and minutes. I think I think once you add a second hand, I think that's where it becomes a complication beyond time telling. Oh, that's an interesting thoughts. That's an interesting uh, uh, thought, and, and I don't know. I haven't thought about it before this second right now, so I don't know if. It's it's something I agree with or not. I mean, is is that a is that a controversial opinion? Because I assume it is. Could it be? I mean, small seconds seems like a pretty pretty universally accepted complication. I air quoted for those of you who aren't sitting with me in Everett. <laughs> um, but small seconds, I think, would be considered a, a complication, whether complex or not, is a complication. Which then, to me, would mean that big seconds, so too, would also be a complication. Yeah, it's interesting because, you you know, I, I assumed we'd talk about this later, but, you, you know, some folks argue that, for instance, a a tourbillon is not a complication, that a tourbillon is a is a style of movement. because So, so a tourbillon is essentially just a case, a cage that go around, goes around, I think, the balance spring, but... Ooh. That uh, sounds right, but it might just sound right right <laughs> it but in what it does is it sort of replicates the pendulum and, and counteracts gravity it, it turns it turns constantly mm-hmm. turns so that no matter whether you're laying down or you're you're moving um this cage around the balance spring i'm hoping i'm crossing my fingers that i'm saying the right thing i actually don't care uh is is constantly in rotation so it counteracts gravity theoretically it would give you more accuracy but is it a complication uh i mean i i would think yes because it's a feature added to the watch that isn't necessary for the keeping of time well sure i mean there's lots of things in a watch that aren't necessary for the keeping of time You, you you know if we talk about like uh what's omega's um What's Omega's fancy movement there? Um, oh, we just talked about it. Uh, it, it is the... Uh... <laughs> okay, well, whatever. You guys yeah. know what it is. You're screaming at your radios. That's fine. Um, we're going to move on. But is that... Is Omega's sort of fancy escapement... Is that a complication? No, it's just a movement. That's fair. Yeah, and I think a turbion theoretically does the same thing. Now, you, you, you know, I, I think it's... It's important to know that it holds a different place in the world of watches, right? Because when I said earlier, theoretically, it's more accurate. It's certainly not more accurate. You know, well, we the, have... the idea is that it, the only thing that affects the timekeeping are the mechanics of it. Your 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 positioning of it. There's not going to be outside factors that affect as much the timekeeping ability of that watch. But in reality, it's not really more accurate. No, because you can just go to courts. It costs a could billion dollars right so yeah. I, I want a tourbillon i better get out my checkbook and and, and actually my checkbook's not going to work because what well, would it, it's just they can't check it or cash it before you're gone <laughs> right. and you're gonna have to leave the country <laughs> so you, you know it's interesting so what is a complication you, you know maybe we'll just leave it at that uh seconds hand complication yes or no tourbillon complication yes or no you you know i've, I've not come across the seconds hand argument although i did come across the tourbillon argument so it's interesting i don't know what what the answer is let us know what your thoughts are the only reason i'm comfortable saying that second hand is a complication is because small seconds is a considered a complication hmm. which to me means then big seconds is also well yeah no i i get it i i get what you're saying uh i don't know that i agree with you actually i probably tend to disagree with you but um i'm picking up what you're putting but down. my premise is that anything that's not necessarily for keeping of time 
Yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I well, hope, so so maybe we start with the most basic of date complications, which is not to say the simplest. No. Yeah. But the most basic of... Common. Did I say date complication? I already let the cat out of the bag. The most uh, common. The, the turkeys most... are distracting. I hope y'all can pick up the turkeys. Yeah, you know, we've got a, a troop of turkeys that lives in my neighborhood. They troop? Have we talked about... Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Is it a flock? I yeah. don't know what it is. Whatever. They're a troop. They 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 stand around in a gaggle. They, yeah, they block traffic. They Just... jump on your car. <laughs> these... They shot gobble when I close my door. These things fly up and down these trees. We've got probably 150 foot uh, fir trees across the way from my house. Uh, there's a forest across, across the street from my house. You live within a forest. It, yeah, that's right. And uh, these turkeys fly in and out of the trees. And they fly from, you know, probably about 50 foot up. They fly down from 50 they foot up. They fall 50 foot up. They fly up. It, it is. It's not a graceful flight. No. Put it that way. They don't fly up. It's interesting. They they do uh, uh, wing-assisted jumping is yeah. what they do. So they get to the lowest branch. They have to sort of get moving. They get to the lowest branch, and then they, they jump up the tree. Like, uh, I don't know, some 1980s Nintendo video game is what I'm picturing, but I can't think of any right now. It's very Donkey Kong through the trees. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. They they jump up the branches until they get where they're going. And then if you go out and slam the car door, they all go. Yeah. It's called a shot gobble. Anything can do it. Anything will do it. <laughs> oh, fascinating turkeys. So the date complication. Yeah. The most common. The most common. Not necessarily the most simple. You're correct in that, I think. Yeah, and um, maybe not even the most common, because I think that there are other complications that are similarly common. Uh, you, you, you know, in the world of dive, uh, in, in the world of dive watches, right? A, a bezel is is common. Would um, that be a complication? A, a dive bezel absolutely you is know, a complication. A dive bezel is 100% a complication, in my mind. I don't even think it's arguable. Uh-huh. We can we can continue. I'm gonna mull that over. <laughs> and so, it, but I think it's maybe the most the most sort of basic. Maybe maybe even the most overlooked, right? Oh yeah. Well, does your watch have a date? I don't know. Well, oh yeah. Look, there it is. Um, <laughs> it has one. <laughs> you did look though. We knew that one. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know that that's interesting. Now now within that, there's a bunch of different variations, and it's more variation than you would think. Yeah. At least more variation than I would think. And, and this is one of, the, one of the complications that I would think is important and valuable. Brings, brings value, usefulness, maybe not necessarily value, but brings usefulness and functionality to your watch. Because a lot of these, there's a good chunk of these that don't necessarily bring functionality. They just bring form. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, with the exception of maybe a chronograph, I, I'd argue that the date complication is the most useful complication. I don't think people, I don't think there'd be too many people that would aggressively argue against that. I mean, the minute minute repeater is pretty valuable. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we're moving, we're we're still at the date window. So date simple, usually at three o'clock, sometimes 12 o'clock, sometimes six o'clock, you you know, or four. Oh yeah. They they can work their way. I don't know if I've seen it outside of the Cardinals and four. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure that it it exists. And there's some, some perpetual calendars and, uh, some of the, um, Oh shoot! Um, yeah, some of the perpetuals and other things like that, mm-hmm. like of that mm-hmm. ilk, uh, have them in multiple places. You know, sure. whether it be like a twelve o'clock day or like a like a two, three, four small windows. Um, and and so we're not telling you anything you guys don't know, but but you you know day date. That's you, let's one up. Let's one up the the date. 
Ooh. complication. Let's add a day. You know, Seiko, every every Seiko in the world has a day date. Literally, they all do. Check it. You can look. SSB031 only has a day. I, I, know, I know I'm wrong. Okay. Just so we're clear, though. <laughs> Uh, and then you've got a big date, a big date, which, you, you know, I looked at some of these. Some of these look like wheels. I've never handled a big date, but instead, or, or not wheels. Well, yeah, wheels. Mm-hmm. Instead of being a wheel that runs parallel to the watch dial, some of these big dates look like they're wheels that run perpendicular to the watch dial, which I thought, you, you, you know, like uh, mm. Price is Right. Interesting. Uh, I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. Uh, then you've got triple calendar. Yep. Where you add a month. Then you've got an annual calendar where mm-hmm. you add a year. Now, now the thing about an annual calendar, it's a huge disadvantage. It's a huge disadvantage because it doesn't it doesn't account for leap years. So it's basically just a piece of shit. Yeah, you're going to have to take that watch off, you know, every few years and not wear it for a whole year. Well, every four years, you cannot. You, you have to get that watch out and play with the terrible. Or so, a perpetual calendar, Or I you think. get a perpetual yeah. calendar, which <laughs> accounts for the leap year. Yeah. That's literally the only difference between a perpetual calendar and an annual calendar, mm-hmm. which I didn't know until today when I read it. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That that clicked in my head when I... Anyway, that doesn't matter. Well, it's That's... actually pretty genius. Yeah. I don't know how they do it, um, but knows? fantastic, yeah. you, you know, that, that these folks can do that. Now, the one, the one date uh, complication that perhaps I've seen before, but that I had never really thought about before this is something called a banker's dial did you did you check this out today Ooh, i did not so a banker's dial is a a date they call it a date wheel which i thought that's an interesting word based on what it is but really what it is is a ring of dates that go around the watch dial and a hand that independently oh i did see that yeah. selects those so i know oris has some of these but it's it's something that i hadn't ever really thought about so the one watch i did find that i thought was really cool and I'm so it's like a it it. it it is like a 24-hour hand that affects only your date right yep. that's so right it's, it's a revolution a week yeah and, and you know what i was thinking about month. it and i think probably this wouldn't require a lot more work than you, you know just a date wheel right because you just sort of put the hand on the 31 day rotation and and so i i don't think it's a particularly um complicated complication but i thought well that's really cool i don't know why they call it bank i think style. it'd be similar to a a day or a a day sub dial or a month sub dial probably really similar complication just a different execution yeah i think that's fair so so I pulled I pulled this one up. This is the Oris Men 761-769-1404-54 MB Artix pointer. Uh Ooh. I love this watch. You, you know, it's not cheap. It's a $900 watch on overstock.com of all places. Interesting place to find it. But it's an automatic date wheel, banker's dial is what they call it. Uh and I think it's I think it's brilliant and I and I kind of want to get one. I kind of want to get one. It looks really cool. You know, it's got this seven-link dial. There's another one, a white face on um, leather. That's 707. Uh, this is, oh, this is the Art- Artelier silver dial pointer date. Pointer date. So anyway, I-, I know I've seen these before, but I've just never thought about it. And, and I thought, gosh, these are really cool. Uh, these are really cool. So that's the only watch I have today. Well, really Really classic, clean-looking watches, too. You, you know, they're a little big. They're 42, which I, I'd like this watch better in a 40 because 
Okay. It would make the date impossible to read, I think. Yeah, well, perhaps. I don't know. It's not that big of a difference, but... Um, yeah, the, you know, and they're Oris, so you know it's going to be just bees knees machining and, and put together and everything. Swiss Swiss watch. I, I, I really like these. Nice way to have a date without having the date window that I think can turn some people off when they're looking for a, a dressable watch. This fits into that category. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I like the crown. These are cool, man. I dig them. Yeah. I dig them. So, but I think that basically covers the date complication, right? I think so. You got the big date with a, with a full written out at the 12 o'clock. Uh, and I mean, there's, there's many, many options, but you know, when in simplest form, it tells you the day, the date, potentially the month and maybe the year and the leap year. Yeah. If you got lots of money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny because you can do all this stuff with digital very easily right the the smallest digital computer in the world can do all of this stuff or you can have some old man in switzerland build you a watch for twenty thousand dollars that does the same thing that's a hard choice (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know you know some of this stuff you're you're buying the idea uh, and and i get that so certainly no argument against that from my end but what do you got? What's your what's your next? Next coming up is the chronograph movement, which again is is I think arguably arguably as common or as well known mm-hmm. as the day date year perpetual annual uh, complication we just talked about. Yeah, and I mean in terms of functionality, we've already said it, but I think that this is the next step on. I I need a watch to do something. I I think this would be the natural next stop if you're going down the list of usefulness because really a chronograph is useful. You know what's sad though? The Mm. most useful chronograph is also the most expensive. Split seconds. Oh yeah. You you know, I I don't know a lot about split seconds. I did read some today. What what can you tell me about? So what what you're looking at, we'll, we'll back up a little bit and talk just about the chronograph. That complication is a manual stopwatch. But that's all it is. If, if you imagine the stopwatch that your gym teacher had when you were in school that has three buttons, one on the, on the left side, one on the right side, and one in the middle, and you rotate that 90 degrees, and you put the, the buttons in the two and the four o'clock position as pushers, there's your chronograph. Typically, your two o'clock pusher is going to actuate the, the chronograph. It's going to actuate and, and begin your stopwatch. And there's a whole variety depending on the type of movement that's used in that chronograph, whether it's going down to the increments of seconds that it's measuring. And then that same pusher will typically stop your chronograph and your four o'clock pusher will reset it. And depending, again, on the type of movement, whether it's mecha quartz or, quartz or mechanical, uh, it's going to return to its position on the dial Um in one way or another. So the SSB031, the Mecha Quartz that I have, snaps back to the 12 o'clock. And I have yet, and I've played with it a lot, I've yet to find the threshold where it travels clockwise versus counterclockwise. It's not 30? Or you don't know? Because I've, you can't. I've gotten to 30. I've gotten to 30. One, two, three, four. Still comes back counterclockwise. I, and then I'm, I'm not spent enough minutes, just consecutive minutes, timing this out <laughs> to do it. But it's, it takes it, a long time to get there. It does. It's somewhere <laughs> north of 33. Interesting. And before 45. All right. Well, that is snaps back. But you know, you, you you start looking at mechanicals that are going, or at um, other quartz movements that are going to rotate back. They're going to snap back. They're going to hold until another hand catches up to it, and then it's going to travel back. 
There's a whole whole variety of options that bring that back. Yeah. What's the Dan Henry do? I, I thought it did something cool. Dan Henry is just a, a normal quartz chronograph, so it, it it sort of slow rolls its way back. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a flyback per se, um, but it does uh, it does do some interesting things. So I don't have it. I don't have it down here. Um, but the Dan Henry does some interesting things. So it's got a, gosh, I think it's a tenth of a second, a tenth of a second turner that uh, flies. Just you know, you're watching oh, yeah. it. Maybe it's a fifth of a second. Um, I, I don't know as I sit here right now. But it, it turns really fast. But it only does it for thirty seconds, and then after thirty seconds, it stops. Which... Makes sense if you if you're trying to measure seconds seconds in that tight of increment. More than thirty seconds is probably unnecessary. Well, but what it does do is it does it does keep track. It just stops displaying because I, I assume it takes a lot of energy to turn that thing so at 30 seconds that thing stops at zero but then when you press the stop it goes oh. quickly to where it needs to be to tell you what your you know what your seconds turn is what you know what your portion of a second turn is so um it, it's it's pretty neat uh it, it's pretty neat and and i think that it's it's something that you might not get out of a mecha course. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are mecha courses that do that. I know the SSB doesn't do it. No, it doesn't. It, it measures seconds, minutes, hours. Yeah. Or seconds, minutes, and yeah, up to 60. Probably another thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what that 6 o'clock subdial does. <laughs> Who knows if it even does anything? So this is how familiar with our watches we are, people. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I thought, gosh, chronographs are interesting because there's so many different types, and, and you know, we we can and probably should at some point talk about the different styles of chronograph movements. But I think we could do it for a full episode. You know, just split seconds. I thought, gosh, I don't have time to read about this, but I'm so fascinated. Um, you, you, you know, the earliest chronographs were mono pushers, right, uh, or, or or single pushers, aka mono poussier which i was excited to say when i wrote it down this is gonna be fun to say mono pusher mono pusher that's right so uh you, you know you obviously have flybacks and that's that's the you, you know when you press reset you get that instant that instant very precise movement back to zero and that's for people doing really sort of fast small measurements over over a short amount of time uh split seconds or or re rapante I thought it was ratatouille. Ratatouille, uh, that's yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. That's I could have just written it down wrong. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, French is not your native tongue, <laughs> it, so it's not. So it, I'll accept that. Okay, good. Thank you for that. Uh, but the split seconds is cool. So we 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 talked the chronograph. It's basically it's a it's a watch nerd's way of saying a stopwatch. Uh, split seconds. You have the ability to actuate two seconds timer hands on that chronograph, so you can simultaneously be measuring two different times like two different things on that on that chronograph function um and i need to do more reading into it to see how how you if you have the ability to stop say the first one Mm -hmm. that you started or or how they sequence when you're stopping your timer Mm -hmm. for those of you who can't see i'm 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 pinching my my stopwatch in the air i knew what you were talking about um who cares about these guys yeah but yeah, I, I I need to read more about that because that's an interesting functionality to be able to manipulate either of those times and to do so without interrupting the other. Yeah, well, I think that the variety in chronographs is probably indicative of the development of the chronograph movement. You know, it's happened all over the place. So many people had different ideas about what was going to be what, what was going to be better. 
um, you, you, you know, and what they're for, you know, you start looking at, that's right. at, uh, you know, getting deeper into it. And now I agree with you that a bezel is in fact a complication because you look at a tachymeter bezel, you look sure. at a side rule and those are, those are squarely in complications. Yeah. So yes, I accept that a dive bezel is in fact a complication. Hard fought argument one. Yeah. <laughs> well, anything else about chronographs? Um, No. What, what, what about what about multi-time watches? Because that was the next one that I kind of wanted to talk about. So so there's a whole series of watches that will keep track of multiple times. Ooh, like a world timer? Like a world timer. Or or I think perhaps the most simple version of this is is what would be commonly referred to as a dual-time watch. Uh, yeah. you, you know, uh, and a dual-time watch, there's a couple different varieties. But I, I think the pr- probably the most common type we see... Uh, of uh, of a dual time watch is perhaps an SKX that's been modded with a twelve hour bezel. Yeah, that is a no shit, honest to goodness dual time watch with a dual time complication. Um, the the ability to be able to track a second time zone is accomplished with a twelve hour bezel by or menial math or or menial <laughs> math, right? <laughs> but by by rotating your bezel, rotating your bezel an amount of time different, either plus or minus, to track another time zone. So when I'm at 12 o'clock midnight where I'm at, if my bezel is ticked two hours to the right, and I know in Philadelphia or wherever, maybe Philadelphia's East Coast, somewhere over there, uh, it's going to be two o'clock, right? It would be counterclockwise, not to the right. It would be rotated counterclockwise yeah you're right you're you're right you're right about that you son of a bitch i'm on fire today (laughs) uh so so uh you you know that's a pretty simple device i mean you can do it right now for 30 bucks from from yubokis or or dlw um to a watch you probably already have in your in your cupboard so uh this doesn't have to this complication doesn't have to be complicated or expensive or or expensive right you don't need a dedicated watch necessarily and some of the stuff obviously do you can't i can't turn my 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 uh skx into a chronograph for instance but um i could turn it into a dual time so so the the you know what what is a complication well sure that's a complication And, and in that case you're trading one complication for another you're yeah. trading the functionality of having a dive bezel, a 60-minute dive bezel, for having that 12-hour time. You could also take a Dremel and add 12-hour to your dive bezel. Right. You could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Options. Um, you, you know, and the, the other kind of dual time that's that's fairly common is a, a dual time with an inner rotating bezel. So, so some of these will have a second crown. You pull that crown out and you can rotate that that bezel inside mm-hmm. and, and then assuming you can screw down or slap that crown back in it's going to be insulated from bumps or knocks and and you're not going to lose that time um and those kind of two varieties as well you you have those that have a 20 a fixed 24 hour um bezel inside like uh that Komandersky dual time mm-hmm. is that style or, or a 12 hour time so uh, super interesting, and, and in both cases, one would assume that the that the hour hand is going to be fixed. Yeah. Um. You, you know, fixed to your main timekeeping unit. So with that Komandersky, I think when it's when it says twelve o'clock, it's just twelve o'clock. Um. You, you know that that hour hand doesn't operate independently, but right. with the Komandersky, it goes down goes around once in twenty four hours. So it's provide some complexity and some something interesting to talk about and to think about and 
um, a, a different way to think about time, which that's, you know, looking at these things, uh, that was what occurred to me is there's so many different ways to think about time. Mm-hmm. The delta of time or, or just the passage of time. Well, and then you, so with the dual time, now, now we're going to start working our way into GMT functionality, which I think is a unique complication in and of itself but still fits in that dual time, multiple time zone tracking complication where you can have a either, like we talked about, a fixed hand that is traveling on the same shaft <laughs> as your movement, uh, as, as your, your hours and seconds that you can manipulate and is going to travel at the same pace, or it's a wholly independent complication mm. within it that you can independently set to... Uh, wherever you want and those come in quartz and mechanical and uh probably about anything you can imagine yeah um but another very cool functionality and i think what comes to mind even even within that subset of timekeeping is the nighthawk against what you would imagine as a traditional gmt that usually it's usually a red hand mm-hmm. um and I can't have... I don't or have a red it. arrow. Or, or a something. red arrow. Like yeah. some kind of red indicator to separate it from your seconds, minutes, hours, other hands, so you can quickly look and, and glean the time in the second time zone. Or it could be something as unique as what we're looking at in the Nighthawk that's a um, 180-degree half circle Yeah. that's going to travel around and indicate AM and PM on its, on its traverse. Um, but again, another really cool movement that lets you observe... A second time zone quickly rather than having to do menial math uh, because for those of you or us who regularly have to refer to another time zone uh, for any reason um, it can be a pain in the ass to be doing that math and i'd always be turning it the wrong way and you'd be like oh it's counterclockwise yeah. good day. Yeah, yeah. getting there two hours late um <laughs> four hours yeah uh, <laughs> shit <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, and there's a controversy too about what GMT means and whether it's real GMT or fake GMT or whatever. And I don't think we're going to get into that because I don't really care that much. I think no. that they they do so such similar stuff. You know, I, I think for certain people in certain trades, it might be r- really important to have one or the other. And I, I frankly couldn't tell you which is which at this point. But um, it's not important to me. It's not important for me, and it, and it wouldn't be. So well, w- what's next? Um. Hmm, what do you want to talk about next? You, you know, uh, it's interesting because I, 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 I hang on before we get there. Oh, I want I want to talk a little bit about the digital functionality of the oh, dual yeah. time or multi time or GMT functionality that we just discussed. Yeah, most many digital watches have mm-hmm. that same functionality with a single button push. Uh, you look at something like the uh, Casio World Timers. Mm-hmm. That's a single button push, and it takes you across. All your big cities. Yeah, typically five time zones that you can manipulate independently. So yeah. if you have, if you're somebody who regularly travels and you want to switch time zones, it's a single button push to move to that next time zone. Yeah. Uh, and with the uh, the digital readout on the world timer specifically, you've got a little LCD map of the world that highlights that time zone that you're looking at mm-hmm. on your watch. Well, and and there and there is a uh, an analog version of a world timer too. So so yeah, the these watches where you see and they have the cities written on a bezel around the outside with a time. You know you can independently set that bezel to give you your twenty four hour time that you want. And you know if you're working in in New York or San Francisco internationally, you can look down and say, oh well, in Singapore it is 
such and such time and in Tokyo it's this time and in Sydney it's this time uh you, you know so I'll get everybody on Skype right now or, or whatever I don't yeah. know I'm sort of imagining some or for those of you who don't care person. about other people and what time it is for them you can go with the Astron and wherever you are it's going to tell you what time it is yeah <laughs> yeah that's true that's yeah. true uh, you know, I, I think next week we could talk about some of these more useful uh, complications. You know, the, we talked about the Dan Henry 72 already mm-hmm. with that chronograph. It's also got an alarm. And, and when I first saw it, I thought perhaps it was a GMT function or, or a dual time function because the hand looks very similar. It's got that long, skinny, yeah. extra hand with an arrow at the end of it. And I thought, oh, so the GMT, it's an alarm. So that's another, especially for an analog watch, not every, every digital watch ever made as an alarm and you have to figure out how to turn off the beep yeah that's right so so it's not always easy and it can be incredibly complicated that dan henry uh has just a little extra bezel down there at the seven o'clock or 7 30 and you just pop it out and wherever you have your crown you're right uh i'm so good i'm gonna keep it up wherever in fact i'm gonna correct you on things you're not even wrong about i really appreciate that thank you you're welcome (laughs) Uh, you, you know, I think an alarm function, especially in particular on an analog watch, is such a great idea. And unique. Unique. Th- those are hard. Th- I think you're hard-pressed to come across those. Yeah, you don't see them very often. Uh, so a combo, and a combo chronograph alarm? Woo-wee. I'm into it. Yeah, me too. I, I bought one. Yeah, true. I'm not. I actually don't have any, <laughs> but, you know, I'm so cool with it. <clears throat> I think those are the uh, – th- that's the other one that I thought, gosh, this is a really important – um, this is a really important complication, uh, you, you know, because because the rest of these on my list, uh, moon phase is cool. Moon phase is cool, but who cares? A helium release valve is cool. Yeah, but nobody needs it. You know, I was actually surprised by the um, the ISO requirements for uh, certain features and and maybe not complications, but certain features mm-hmm. of a watch like uh, magnetic resistance and uh, shock resistance and. Uh, uh, the water resistance that go mm-hmm. along with it. It's actually internationally regulated. Um, the uh, the shock resistant, to, to get a shock resistant stamp, it has to, uh, the, the mechanism is a little bit different than just dropping it, but it replicates the uh, dropping of your watch from a one meter height onto a wooden surface. So if it's got shock resist, uh, in order to comply with ISO standards, uh, ISO... Um, one four one three, which you know you can't you can't just read those. You gotta buy them, right? <laughs> yes, I did know that. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, that makes sense that you know it. Um, but yeah, you that's that's what the uh, the test replicates is the ability to, and then after the fall, the ability to to still run within plus or minus 60, 60 seconds. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Yeah. It's crazy. So we can all feel a lot better about how much we would drop our watches. You know, and, and I think that this is something that is probably less of a thing now than it was in the 19th century and even the early 20th century. Because uh, before, really before Inca Block developed their, that the standard Inca Block spring system, watches didn't have that. So sure enough, you drop your pocket watch from waist height. That bitch going down. It's broke. It's broke. Silver parts. And, and now we take it for granted, right? I mean, certainly if you drop your watch, you run the risk of it breaking. But if, if I watched, if I dropped my SKX, I, I would not even occur to me that it wouldn't work when I picked it up. If you threw it at somebody, it wouldn't occur to you if it wouldn't work. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, uh, you, you know. Depends uh, on where it hits them. But right. um... <laughs> it's more likely to hurt them than, uh, than than to hurt itself. So, But I think we do take that for granted. Um, 
you know, because every watch basically has some sort of shock resistance system. The, I think Inkablock is still the most common, and, and it took me a, a little bit of time to figure out what that meant, but I guess it's essentially a spring under a, under the jewel settings, which suspends suspends that jewel you know Mm -hmm. so there's a jewel and a jewel cap and a spring and and it basically when it takes a bump it it allows the pivots to keep from breaking so it 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 absorbs it for it absorbs your that stress mechanics yeah that's right so um but i think you, you know seiko's got diashock which essentially does the same thing you know these companies have their own sort of proprietary versions of that a couple of them have interesting i think tudor the the tudor north flag for instance has a um like a silicone balance spring or, mm-hmm. or something as a balance spring a thing i don't know uh but it's got some sort of silicone spring that is is unique and so so companies do this different ways slightly different ways to provide extra protection i bet Vostok has a unique way also i bet you're right i, I i'm almost positive you're right yeah everything else is proprietary I mean, why wouldn't that <laughs> right well, you know, so then we have, you know, the, the sort of these, these regular players, tachometer, scale, which is certainly a complication. but Slide it's, rule. Slide rule. But... ABC complications on some of these hardcore digitals or anadigis that have yeah. altimeter, bar- barometric pressure, and compass. Yeah. And I think compass is, I think, a really undervalued complication in a watch. Yeah, you, you know, it is. These, these ABC watches typically have digital compasses, which can be off by a lot. You know, they can be off by like 15 degrees, you know, 10 to 15 degrees. For not long distance navigating, for just general orientation. That's Orientating, right. as some people call it, which drives me absolutely fucking nuts when people say orientate yourself to this. Orienteer yourself over there. Yeah, like, no, shut up. Like, <laughs> like orient. Just say say it like that. Like a normal human person. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah you right so it's not a precise device but they're a way to do a thing and and even the compasses on you know the alpinist or whatever there's a a, a a ingenious way to use that just based on looking up at the sky and seeing the sun and and turning that dial and all of a sudden you're oriented uh to to which direction you need to be going and you, you know uh depending on where you are in the world you might not know well the sun falls basically there and i know that that's southwest right you 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 know if you don't have uh if you don't have that idea of where the sun might fall it's an incredibly useful thing especially midday when you know in the summer the sun's directly overhead plug that thing in you're still going to be able to you're still going to need to get that angle but once you have it oh okay yeah that's where i'm going pretty cool good function i've been thinking about getting a like a watch, uh, a watch strap, slip-on compass to put on that just is a quick removable. They're like three bucks, and they're not going to be super accurate, but it's going to give me a general idea of my direction of travel. Yeah, what watch would you wear it on? Any of them, I or just put it in my pocket. Like I would never wear one of those. <laughs> I would just never. I would just never. That's fair. <laughs> I'd be more likely to like fill my pocket with a big lens attic than to. I'm not inclined to do that. I don't like carrying shit in my pockets. <laughs> All right. Uh, tachometer. For the third time. Jumping second hand. Yeah. Mag- Power reserve. Magnetic resistance. Magnetic resistance, certainly, right? Yeah. Uh, made famous by a couple of very high-end Swiss watches. Um, and, then we get to, and then we get to the two we've already talked about. Turbion, which we've talked about already. Uh, maybe, maybe not a complication. 
Minute repeater certainly is. And minute repeater. Minute repeater. So do you know do you know what the function of a minute repeater is? What what the actual purpose is? Beauty. It's not. It's not. It's something way better than that. Beauty? A minute repeater was a way to be able to tell time in the dark. It is indiglo. Before indiglo. That's what a minute repeater is. And that that is something that I didn't know before today that I think is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I am going to instantly start saving every penny I make for the next 10 years so that I can buy one, so that I can lay in my, lay in my bed, flip that lever, and hear those chimes so Gosh, I know what time it is. If the watch purchase isn't what, uh, isn't what gets you put on the streets, it'll be <laughs> listening to the chimes every five minutes. <laughs> totally true. Totally true. So essentially worthless, right? Because, you, you know... We've got Indiglo, we've got uh, Loom, you know, some of it better than other, but but all of it passable. Um, the odds that you can't see your watch at night are pretty low. And if you can't see your watch at night, you likely have a cell phone. Right, exactly. So, so totally useless, totally useless, but still pretty neat. In my mind, pretty freaking cool. Just cool technology. Yeah. Same as having a hand wine only. And I find it so much cooler knowing that it was a way to be able to tell your time, tell time in the dark. See, I thought it was just a kind of a needlessly extravagant uh, functionality. I, I did too. I did too this morning. And this morning, I thought minute repeaters were stupid, and now I don't. I mean, I think they're stupid because I'll never be able to afford one. Uh, yeah. Well, you might be able. To, there's some Chinese companies that make minute repeaters for in the low, you know, low thousands, even maybe high hundreds. Um, you have to look for them, but I, I and Turbions. There's some Chinese companies that make relatively affordable. I don't think I need a Turbion. Yeah, of course you don't. But but you, if if you were gonna get one, you could if you wanted one. I don't know if I want one. I don't know if I don't want one. Like if someone wants to send me their Turbion and say, here you go, have it for freezies. Thanks. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it doesn't really sing to me. Not like a minute repeater does. <laughs> 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 Um, but you know, that, that's interesting because the two you brought up when you brought this up were ABC time and shock resistance. And, and you, you, you know, I think that there's something to be said for ABC watches, um, that, that's different than a, a complication the way we've been talking about them largely. Certainly it's a complication. Um, but it, it gets me thinking about the idea of a complication I suspect is changing and, and and there's two things that sort of came to mind today as I was poking around for this. One, ABC complications. Um, these are digital sort of. It's a, it literally is a barometer. Do you think we could classify text messaging as a complication because an Apple Watch can text? Well, that's interesting because I think I gathered from my research. So I've never worn an Apple Watch. I've never touched one. Uh, I mean, literally never touched. They're one. pretty damn comfortable. I think that Apple calls their apps. For the Apple Watch complications, I think that that is the term for an Apple Watch app. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong about that, and feel free to correct me if I am. But that they was ought the, to if they don't. That's the sense I got. So, so then the then the question becomes: Is there a distinction there? And and if the distinction is just well, if it's Apple, it's a it's an Apple complication. If it's anything else, it's a complication complication. And and, and so that's stupid, right? That's a stupid I mean, I, argument. The, the question then becomes: Is an Apple Watch a watch? Yeah, right? So so assuming an Apple Watch is a watch and an app 
that you add to your Apple Watch is a complication, let's assume those things are true, then all of a sudden, the idea of complications has just completely expanded, right? We've gone from a fairly closed universe, fairly closed universe, to... Angry Birds. Angry Birds. Exactly right. How... Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking this, but it seems like it's a phrase that's probably in it's in an evolution, in, in a no shit. In a big, in a big leap. Right that's now. right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, you, you know, it wasn't that long ago where you couldn't have had an ABC watch. Um, and then that changed, you know, probably in the, you know, eighties, perhaps the nineties. Shit, it wasn't that long ago you couldn't have a digital watch. That's right. And, and so all of a sudden we've gotten an entirely different world. And and so we've gone from, we've gone from, you know, perhaps the seventies, um, you, you know, where you just didn't have a lot. You had GMT and you had moon phase and you had chronometer uh or not chronometer uh chronograph which is unique maybe we'll 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 talk maybe next week about what a chronometer is yeah worth a worthwhile discussion i think that's right i think that's right um to to now you know it endless possibilities i mean what can you do on an apple watch i don't know if you can play angry birds but i assume if you you play games on an apple watch if you can't now you could you can soon and you know mp3 players and well mp3 players what year is it i know i'm sorry (laughs) i'm really sorry but you know what i mean right the ability to do um anything i I mean anything that you can do with a computer wikipedia oh i've got a wikipedia complication voice text is not great on a watch is it not no (laughs) i haven't tried it oh i've not tried it i've i've been on the receiving end of a lot of um incomprehensible (laughs) messages right yeah right i mean you type yours and i can't read them sometimes so I spell good, and I use grammar and punctuation. I'm a good texter. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it just, it's interesting to me. I mean, the fact that we're talking about complications, I think it's worth a mention. But I, I suspect that that's a word that's meaning is in some sort of flux. Well, in the midst of potentially the biggest change to orology since the courts. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, all right. I, I think that's it. Do we need to? Do we need to? I think we've touched on them. I think dig. anything anything outstanding, maybe warrants its own episode. I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, uh, I, I think it was a fun topic, guys. If you have anything to say about it, or if you, you know, I, I certainly expect that we missed at least one thing. Oh, a bunch of things today. So. We were we were talking about before this episode. We're like, ah, oh, I don't know if we have a lot, and it turns out we have way more than we thought we had. Right. Uh, and we've got a couple great episode suggestion ideas from folks, a couple good watch brands to look into that might find their way into yeah. a whole episode dedicated to them. Yeah. Thank you for your feedback. Keep sending it in. Everett reads the messages. I read once every other week because I suck at social media. I just suck <laughs> at it. Um, I don't know if it's by choice or by like an object in motion stays in motion kind of kind of scenario. Yeah. I lean more towards I suck, but I'm, I'm also okay with being an object at rest. You don't suck. You don't suck. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, other stuff? What do you got, man? Other stuff. I have been on a bit of a corned beef kick. You have. You told me you were going to open a corned beef restaurant. Uh, uh, food truck. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Stick with me here, folks. Imagine a food truck whose entire menu consists of corned beef foundation foods, whether it be corned beef nachos, corned beef tacos, with battered fries and slaw, 
corned beef sliders, uh, corned beef and hash, Rubens. Do you need anything? Poutine. Like, for those of you who don't know what poutine is, it's french fries smothered in gravy with cheese curds, and then throw some shredded corned beef on that bitch. Holy shit, it is good. But here's the deal. I would go to that food truck three, four times a week. I would I would get real fat because none of that's good for you. But I, I love corned beef. And so I've done, I, I've brined my own corned beef before a couple times. And I've just recently purchased a couple bags of pre-brined corned beef. And I have to say, doing it at home, the the result is not so much better than the result of out of the bag that it's worth doing it at home. So I bought three bag, like three bagged corned beef briskets. At Costco? Uh, at Winco, Winco, but same game. Uh, and just threw them in my freezer. And all I do is I cut it open and I throw it in the slow cooker with like an inch of water. And it turns out so good. Do you thaw it first? Nope. Nope. Right in the slow cooker. No effort. The only effort is that I have to run it underwater to create enough space to to break the bag yeah. off of the off yeah. of the brisket. And I bet it's not that much more expensive. Oh, uh, no, it's way cheaper. Well, well, is it cheaper? Oh, way cheaper than than to buy a slab of brisket. It's it's probably five dollars more in in cost than a pre-brined slab of brisket for corned beef yeah, which no, maybe I, speaks you, to the quality of it but i don't give a shit it's been brined and then it's going in the slow cooker and unless there's a specific flavor you're going for some specific curing process that you're looking for i'm yeah. not looking for a revolutionary i'm looking for a delicious and that's what i'm getting out of these bad corned beefs those of you who <laughs> haven't had corned beef shame on you uh try it you can do so much with it and try do try making you know some brown gravy bake some fries get some cheese curds and then a little bit of sauerkraut and shred some corned beef, put it on top of that, and your world is going to change. You know, I've always said that the um, true test of any gastropub is the Reuben. And that, that we, you, yeah, you, we share this. If you want to evaluate a gastropub on quality of food, you're going to find it in the Reuben because a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to get um, a, a Reuben that's on shitty rye bread, and it if that happens you you probably can assume that they're not taking a lot of care in their in their food selection right um and, and you're going to get a, a reuben that's either uh fantastic you know a, a wonderful marble rye or or uh, you, you know some very just beautiful lush corned beef or you're going to get the opposite and and that for me is the true test i'm able to t- know so much about a kitchen you know we've both spent many years in the restaurant industry i think you probably a little more than i did even uh no I, you made up the balance i think in the last couple of years okay. yeah <laughs> so for those that don't know uh i worked as a ute in, in the restaurant industry and then as i as i became a lawyer i started my own practice is that like a eunuch it is the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so I started my own practice and, you, you know, just hung a shingle. And, and I had a baby at home, two babies then at home, and we just didn't have any money. And so I was bartending and, and waiting tables at night in order to continue to provide for the family. And so you're right. Yeah, I think during that little phase of time. And I'll tell you, I loved it. Oh, it's so fun. I loved it. It took me a long time, even as an active duty army officer to catch up with how much I was making bar- bartending. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, the money is good. Um, and it's fun. It's fun. It, it's always entertaining. It can be stressful too. It, it's a, it's a hard job, but 
Yeah, if you get into a good place, it's great. But I'm going to second your Ruben, mm-hmm. and I've I've used that same test, and I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I don't it, think we it's, have. it's interesting that we both independently come to that conclusion because it is so easy, relatively, like if you're making quality food in your kitchen, it is so easy to do a Reuben right, mm-hmm. but it's all in the details. Yeah. Are you... Are you doing in-house pastrami or in-house corned beef are you doing in-house sauerkraut are you throwing thousand island on it are you using shitty rye if you're not doing those things you're definitely doing everything else right because it's just a little bit extra effort to get a good reuben out of your kitchen and if you're doing that you're doing everything else right yeah that's right yeah that's right if you're putting those extra steps into making a reuben then everything's going to be spot on so and you can't always tell right a cheeseburger is good no matter what um, and, yeah. and, and cer- certain things are just going to be good no matter what. Pizza is always going to be pizza. And, and there's multiple <laughs> degrees of pizza. But that Reuben, you can tell how, how much they care about the product. They're putting oh, yeah. Out, so. Immediately. Well, good. I, I'm really excited for this food cart. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, somebody open it up. We'll travel. I'll <laughs> I come to you. you are opening it up. Oh, no. I want somebody else to. Okay. I don't want to assume the financial <laughs> risk of nobody liking corned beef the same way that I do. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, so for for me, as was alluded to earlier in the episode, I have I have picked up a new hobby. Oh boy, another one, uh, another one, and and it's really an offshoot of a hobby I already have. I think it's a natural evolution. It's a natural evolution, perhaps not for everybody, but I've started shooting sh- camera photography. Oh, I was going to say seagulls. <laughs> I've started shooting seagulls, and I've started shooting uh, photography in film in 35 millimeter film so uh like like film canister comes in a box you expose it to light you ruin it yes that stuff so i i have to i have to give a shout out to our good friend aj barce because thanks aj thanks aj uh i've been talking to aj for i don't know a couple couple months about picking up an analog camera you know for those of you don't know aj aj barce is the host of the AJ Barce is the host of the Bellingham podcast or co-host of the Bellingham podcast. And he's got his independent project called the uh, Analog Explorer, which he talks about analog watches and analog photography and just sort of the idea of an analog lifestyle and how that affects him. And it's wonderful. Uh, his stories are, are just really well done and his photography is great. But, I, you know, we've been talking. I said, gosh, I, I want to get a I want to get a camera body. And so there's been a couple models I've been looking at, and he's kind of been keeping an eye out for me, and he sent me some stuff. And um, I just, it just so happened my mom said, Hey, uh, your grandpa's Pentax K1000 is hanging around somewhere. Would you want it if I could find it? Duh. Yes. Yes. So mom brought down the K1000, and I, as best as I can tell, this thing was probably last shot in the early 1980s. Which means... Was there any undeveloped film in it? There was not. No. And, and you know what? Bless Grandpa's heart. He had taken the battery out, too, because that was the big concern was that it had a battery in it. Look at that. Um, but the... the I, I suspect probably mid-80s um, and, and maybe maybe late 80s, but, but doubtful. And Grandpa's died uh, several years ago, uh, so I'm not able to ask him. But it mechanically is perfect because those things are bulletproof. Um, the meter works perfectly i gave it a i gave it a good scrub down and it looks amazing i grabbed a roll of cheap fuji film and i ran it through it and holy cow they turned out right holy cow man you done good crazy well and you know the thing is i don't know 
how much I've learned about photography, right? Because you, 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 you learn and it's slow, but the concepts are all really natural to me. Um, and, and so certain things I, I didn't know, and there was some discomfort in, in figuring some things out and, and using a traditional light meter, you look through and you set your ISO, you know, your ISO is set by the film and you're, you're compensating primarily with, with aperture because, you know, you might be maxed out on shutter speed. That thing only has a one, one thousandth, uh, shutter speed. So, I, I mean, it's just different. And, and, you know, there's all these cliche, you know, every, if you've ever heard anybody talk about why film photography is better, uh, these ideas are cliche and kind of dumb, you know, oh, it slows you down. It makes you think about what you're doing and that's good. You, you know, it's totally true. I, all these things that sounded cliche to me, now I understand, right? It, it, and it's not that they're not cliche because they are, but but they're true. I think the truth is something different than what I expected it to be. The truth is that you are more engaged with what you're doing, which is, I think it's a similar uh, comparison to driving an automatic versus a manual transmission in a car. It's you are true. more a part of what you're doing. You can't be th- thoughtless. And I think that's maybe you have to be more thoughtful with an analog or mechanical tool than with a digital. And I think it's easy to imagine that that wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be fun. Right. And it certainly it was for me before. Right. Sometimes I probably, you know, I can certainly say sometimes I don't want to have to manually focus. And with the Cam 1000, that's it. And I'm sure sports photographers love digital photography, but people who are hobbyists or even professionals who aren't photographizing photographing uh like the paparazzi and sports photographers i'm sure are the ones who most appreciate digital you you know there's some limitations right if if i'm taking a portrait um and i'm in a really sort of wide aperture i do not suspect i'm going to be able to get as you will as good a focus you'll get there i doubt it it's going to take many rolls of film I, I doubt it. I, I don't think that, certainly at least with an SLR, uh, maybe with a rangefinder, and I don't have one of those at this time, but I'll probably pick one up eventually. Maybe with a rangefinder, I don't think with an SLR I'll ever get there. It, it's just the function is not, is not there. So, you, you know, the ability to point that cross point at someone's eye and half press the button, and that computer dials it. And if it doesn't dial it, you, you microcalibrate it. Press it again. Um, you, you know... I don't. I doubt very seriously I'll get to that level. My eyes aren't good enough, and and, and I'm and it's just hard, right? So, but with with that one exception, you have so much more. Uh, you're so much more engaged. You nailed it. You hit the nail on the head. So, I'm having a ton of fun. I've gone through. I've gone through uh, a, a role at this point, most of the way through another. So I'll develop that, and I've, I have this whole other world of gas. Uh, that's just opened up to me and that's exciting and, and, and terrifying for my wife, I'm sure. So, um, but, but the reality is I can take the same picture with my K1000 that somebody could take with an Nikon D5 or D6. Or an iPhone. Or, or, or well, no, no. I'm saying something different. So, okay. Uh, or, or not, a, not a D6, an F6. So a Nikon F6, a film camera. So the film cameras are so much less dependent on the gear is you know digital there's a pretty marked difference between an iphone and a d and a d5 for instance oh yeah for sure you, you know the the film quality don't tell me that gear doesn't matter because it totally does that's not true but for film the primary gear is the film right so if you've got a good lens and that pentax sm those pentax smc lenses the prime lenses are super sharp so if you're in focus 
you're going to get a fantastic exposure. You know, the best film camera ever made, arguably Nikon F6, is not going to give me a better exposure on Fuji Superior 400 than my Pentax will. It's just not going to. I'm going to get the same exposure. You, you know, if I'm at the same aperture and I'm at the same shutter speed and, you know, barring some pretty minute variables, um, it's going to be the same, right? So so that that's different, and, and I think that that will make it I me mean, less prone to want to spend money on on gear you know everybody today that's right you, you know i do want to get a rangefinder. i don't want to get a leica but i want to get something you know and I, i'm looking and the ones i want are, are probably 300 400 and so that's something that's in the future and i well, know you're talking rangefinder. are you talking what, what are you talking like light range or are you talking like a digital distance to your yes uh, so a rangefinder is a type of camera so if you know what a leica looks like a leica yeah. is is a rangefinder or my fuji uh, X20 is is not a rangefinder, but that's what it looks like. It's the smaller body camera, smaller lenses. Mm, okay. They don't have a mirror inside them. So a rangefinder is the original mirrorless camera, although it's not digital. But it does a similar thing. So they've got a shutter inside, but no mirror. And so the way you see the image is not through the lens. You don't see TTL or through the lens. You see through a little window that's up in the corner. And it gives you split images. And you have a little dial on the bottom of the lens, typically, mm-hmm. that you turn. And it brings your images together once they match up, you're in focus. So it, it's a superior focusing system at a shorter focal length. Right. Um, you get better image quality from it because the time to get in focus is less. So anyway, it's fun. I'm digging it. That's not actually my other thing. My other thing is a YouTube channel, Mac Shoots Film. This is a guy, uh, Mac McDonald, and I don't know if Mac is his first name, but if you're into this at all, check him out. He's super easy to watch. He does everything in a, in a very easy way. He's only got not very many followers at this point. You, you know, I checked today and it was like 10,000 or maybe even less. Like, gosh, I don't know. So he's this newer YouTube guy. Um, and, but his videos are great. Uh, and he, he's just shooting pictures and talking about film and his process. And he's sort of going through it right now, you know, and he's going to blow up. And they also just started a podcast called grainy days, Mac and a couple of his friends. I bet he has a dark room. You know, I don't think he does, but I do, I do know he develops it and scans at home. So, um, yeah, I I mean, it's, it's something fun to get into and to play with. Uh, I did tell you earlier today, I'm, I'm suspecting that I might become, a, a film shooter almost exclusively i don't know what's going to happen yet but i have zero interest to play with my digital stuff right now so we'll see what happens it's a good transition i'm proud of you <laughs> ever growing and evolving oh well just, yeah, i just play around yeah i like we all do serial hobbyists anything else that's it for me man all right you guys thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20 don't forget to tune back in next week for another hour of watches food drinks life and other things we like Bye-bye. Our music today is Bummin' on Tremolo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.